You're listening to NM Radio. Let's go back in time to 1930 in Prague, Czechoslovakia, and it's a hub for culture and creativity. The nationalist spirit was in the air. The folk-inspired music of Smetana, Dvořák and Janáček was loved by the art community. But then the modernist school, Schoenberg's doctrine of atonalism, was gaining traction in the art world too. And at the same time, you could hear the sounds of jazz and swing on the radio. This melting pot of music and culture was the environment where Czech composer and pianist Gideon Klein developed his musical identity and tragically was the last place he was free to create. He was taken to a prison camp at the hands of the Nazis and was murdered at the age of 25. 2019 marks Gideon Klein's centenary and to celebrate his life and his music, Anam is presenting a concert of his works curated by Anam's artistic director, Nick Deutsch. Here's Nick on Klein's life. Gideon Klein, I suppose we could say he's a brilliant, highly gifted, maybe even could say prodigy, who was born 100 years ago in Czechoslovakia. And he was someone who was part of a very exciting modernist avant-garde cultural scene that was based in Prague before World War II. And as a result of the outbreak of the war in 1939, when he was only 20 years old, had to take a very different direction in life under pressure from the National Socialists, of course, and the subsequent invasion of Czechoslovakia by Hitler. He was severely limited in, in his development due to his Jewish heritage. He wasn't allowed to perform in public at all. It was forbidden to play any of his compositions. And despite the most challenging and horrible circumstances, uh, he continued to perform and write music up until basically 10 days before he was murdered at the age of 25, only 25. My name's David Flig, and I'm a lecturer in academic studies at the Royal Northern College of Music in Manchester in the UK, although I live in Leeds. And I'm uh, researching and investigating the life and music of Gideon Klein, the composer under discussion. What was he like as a child? He was very precocious and, and immensely talented. And he was brought up in a town in Moravia. The town is, is called Cherov. He started to have piano lessons in, in Cherov. I think he, was, he started when he was about six years old. And he had a very, very good teacher called Karol Marek. And he made really great progress. But then his sister, Eliska or Lisa, she realised that um, his talent was really too great for a relatively small provincial town. So she was already studying at the Prague Conservatory and she was teaching as well, and she had this idea. She was going to take Gideon, you know, 11 years old, to Prague with her, and he would study there. So she was very canny in the way in which she did this. She arranged it that on a regular basis, the 10 and 11-year-old Gideon would be put on a train on a Saturday in Cherov, and he would ride the 150-mile journey, or however far it is, to Prague. And she would meet him in, and he would have a piano lesson. So you can imagine this kid 
He comes from this provincial town. He gets off the train in, in the main railway station in Prague, Wilson Station. You know, he sees the, the state opera house. He sees the, the magnificent National Museum there. Lisa meets him in and she introduces him to his friends, you know, sort of the cafe society set. And Prague at that time, we're talking about the 1930s, was at the heart, not only of European modernism, but at the heart of Jewish intellectualism as well. And then about a year later, when it's 11, Lisa sort of cuts a deal with her parents, who are very supportive, and says, look, it has to move to Prague and live with me permanently. And that was the beginning of Gideon's love affair, and it was a love affair with Prague. And he thrived there. He absolutely thrived. He continued his lessons. He uh, enrolls as a part-time student at the Prague Conservatory. He's giving concerts and so forth. And the world really was his oyster from then on. Why perform Klein's music as part of a concert program? Well, despite his very short life, I, I consider Klein to be a very important figure in history. I think it's a real symbiosis of the Bohemian Czech 20th century school, started by Janáček, and the second Viennese school, so Schoenberg. And it's two very important influences on him, and that mixture led to a very original style. It's very energetic and rhythmic. Um, you see a lot of influence from the Moravian and Bohemian dances. You've also got influence of the Slavic language, similar to how Janáček worked with accents in unpredictable places. But you've also got a lot of influence, you know, folkloric influence. The, the slow movement of the octet that we'll be performing features a slow folk song that was made popular by Janáček. But it's, it's all that mixture of the heritage as well as a very sound knowledge of, of the greats. In many ways, it's typical of, of a lot of his contemporaries. You know, I mean, we find the same in Ullmann and, and in, in, in Haas and Krasser to a certain extent in Schulhoff and, and so forth. In fact, on, on one of his uh, scores uh, for a, a string piece, he was a, in his teens when he wrote it, he'd scrawled along the score, long live Janicek and long live Schoenberg. And I think that really tells us a story. Then World War II began, which marked the end of Klein's freedom as he knew it. March 1939 and Czechoslovakia, as it was, becomes occupied, becomes known as the protectorate of Bohemia and Moravia. And more or less from the start, the um, Nuremberg laws against the Jews started to be implemented in that region. And this was to affect Gideon significantly because the Jews started to be restricted with regard to what they could do. So eventually they couldn't attend concerts, they couldn't take part in concerts, they had their radios confiscated, and it affected Gideon because if you think of it, he was um, very active as a pianist, as a repetiteur, he was taking part in contemporary theatrical activities as a musician, as a pianist as well. So he was mixing with all these wonderful musicians and actors and directors and producers and goodness knows what. And then pretty much all of that stopped. And so he had the idea that he would continue as a pianist under an assumed name. And he took the, the name of Karol Vranek. And uh, he did perform 
under that name, but it really was short-lived, to tell you the truth. As all the opportunities for performing were shut down, then he started to compose more and more because he realised that at least he could continue to be active as a musician, not so much as a pianist, but as a composer. And running alongside that, there was a lot of secrets, if you like, domestic music making in the homes of people, and he, he took an active part in that too. He was taken to Terezin, or Terenzinstadt, a concentration camp about 50 kilometres north of Prague, in 1941. It was uh, a couple of days before his 21st birthday. He was part of the first group of prisoners to go there, the so-called Aufbaukommando. It was a division of of labourers, if you like, who had to get the, the camp, the ghetto, ready for the huge influx of Jewish prisoners that would later follow. And the Aufbaukommando largely consisted of young Czech Jews. I mean, they were put in promised land. They were told, oh, look, you'll be home by Christmas and so forth. Well, of course, they never saw home again, did they? My name's Maggie. I'm a pianist from Annam, and for this concert, I'll be playing the piano sonata by Gideon Klein. I didn't know anything about Klein in the first place, so after researching it, like, this sonata was composed in 1943, two years before Klein's death. Well, at first I thought this sonata was quite short. For three movements, it's only 10 minutes, unlike a Beethoven sonata. When I first heard it, um, you could see that Klein was very influenced by the language of Berg. Especially the second Viennese school, you could see that he absorbed all that language and kind of was exploring it in this piece. But he remained very faithful in the structure and form. It's no different to a Mozart sonata. It has the typical exposition, development, recap, and first theme and second theme or subject. But the only thing which he does is add a lot of dissonances and some changing metres throughout the piece. It was a shame that he wasn't able to develop his language further due to external circumstances because I could see a lot of potential for him to be a, you know, a really um, influential 20th century composer. The composer Pavel Haas arrives in Terezin and he's thoroughly depressed and he can't compose. And it was Gideon who basically, you know, said to him, stop being so self-indulgent, stop feeling sorry for yourself, just get the manuscript paper and compose. And it was Gideon who actually gave him the manuscript paper. He said, just sit down and do it. This is what we do. We are professional musicians. We're composers. Just do it, you know. And Haas did. He had this sort of writer's block, which was brought on by fear and depression. I mean, we can only imagine what people must have been going through. And I don't think we can imagine it even then. But what this demonstrates is that Gideon was a mover and shaker in that camp. So much of what happened musically and culturally in general was as a result of his activities. He was known as being energetic as a, as a pianist, as a composer, as an educator, uh, as, as a teacher, not only did he teach kids, but he gave lectures to the prisoners, to the adult prisoners as well. 
somehow or other, you know, he, he found a, an old gramophone player. And, you know, he would sort of give an off-the-cuff lecture and he'd be there playing examples on this, this ancient machine, chain-smoking all the time, you know, and so forth. So he was very energetic and, and very knowledgeable, and he did a great deal to actually galvanise the prisoners into music-making uh, as well. But, of course, eventually, by the autumn of 1944, his mother who was there, his sister who was there, they were deported, and everything just, just sort of collapses. And, and we know from personal testimony that he became very, very depressed. And then, you know, uh, eventually that great flowering of creativity in Terezin came to an end as, as he and loads of other musicians and composers, all the great actors and the theatre directors, all of them were put on these massive transports which went east to Auschwitz. And of course, most of them never survived, including Gideon. What happened after the war? His sister, Lisa, did what she could. So fairly soon after the war, there was uh, a memorial concert to him in Prague in the Rudolfinum, and a number of his works were performed there. So she always made sure that if there were opportunities for his music to be performed, then it would be performed. But the extant pieces up until round about 1990 were those pieces which he composed in Terezin. So, you know, the irony is that the Terezin music seems to have survived, but nothing else survived. Then, an incredible discovery 45 years after Klein was murdered. A suitcase was discovered containing works of Klein's that were not known of before. He gave these compositions to, to some friends in Prague before he was sent away. And he said, you know, look, look after these. And it wasn't just compositions, there were personal papers as well, school reports, photographs, personal correspondence, all sorts of bits and pieces, actually. Eventually, uh, th this family, I think we will call the, the Herzog family, they handed it over to Lisa. And uh, she really didn't know that these things existed. Many of them are sketches, including the divertimento, the octet that we're um, going to play. So a lot of the, a lot of the musical work, as far as dynamics is concerned, especially dynamics, there are no markings. I mean, he's really given sort of the bare, sort of the bones and the structure. All the, all the notes are there, but there's not much of the descriptive tempo markings, articulation, dynamics. That's something that we've put together, and it's actually it's great. Every time I perform it, we end up with sort of slightly different results as a result of what kind of musicians are involved in the project. When we do approach a, a piece like this, I mean, of course, I, in preparation, come with, with some strong ideas, but I very much hope to get a lot of input from the Anna musicians as well. Very often that's a, as a result, um, you know, I mean, forte as a solo is not the same as forte in an ensemble, and it's something that we discover together and how, you know, the voicing and just to get as much of the musical content that's on the page across to the audience. It's a creation process which takes different shape and form every time you do it. Why is it important to perform his works here at Anam? First and foremost, I consider Klein to be a very important figure in history and, and still, by and large, very unknown. And I think part of our mantra here at Anam is exposing our young musicians to 
a very diverse range of repertoire. One, because it's important repertoire, and secondly, because it's, it, I think it's very important to awaken curiosity and, and not be scared of the unknown. And obviously most of the cohort, if not all of them, will be playing at playing Klein for the first time. But hopefully it'll encourage them to go out and seek excellent music that speaks to them and helps them shape their own voice. Yeah, basically just never be complacent. <laughs> it's the enemy of creativity. I would not know about this if I was not playing this piece. You know, spending that time learning it, I'm actually starting to really enjoy like finding different things out of it, such as the certain textures and lines that come out of this piece. But I feel like pianists in general, they should be playing unknown pieces and especially can pieces written at such a dark time in history. I think that should be played more and to honor someone who, whose life um, ended too shortly. You know, once the war had finished uh, in the middle of 1945, People realised everything had changed. The social makeup of Europe had changed. Politics had changed. Art and culture had changed. The whole relationship between Jews and the, the wider world and Jews within themselves changed. The State of Israel was formed as well. So everything, everything altered. I think that without any shadow of a doubt, he would have been one of the great movers and shakers of music in the second half of the 20th century. He would have been a Leonard Bernstein type figure, you know, one of those musicians who is a wonderful conductor and composer and pianist and educator. Uh, he was very, very personable. He was very knowledgeable about all sorts of things. So if I were to find a sort of analogy with a type of personality, it might be someone like Bernstein, you know, this person who just galvanized people into loving music uh, and so forth but he would definitely have made his mark now we don't know which way his compositions would have gone you know would he have continued to exploit that fusion of czech music and and european modernism would he have focused uh, essentially on being a pianist or an educator we don't know the upcoming concert at Annam is special for Nick Deutsch, but how did he find out about this relatively unknown composer? Well, it was fascinating. Not so long ago, actually, about 10 years ago, I was asked um, to put on a concert for survivors of the concentration camp in, in Theresienstadt, otherwise known as Terezin. Yeah, well, it, it, it's something that took me by surprise. I mean, of course, uh, when I was approached to put on this concert, well, yeah, I obliged. I thought it was fascinating, but I didn't quite expect... Um, what kind of impact the, the music would have on me and subsequently it's really become a, a, a bit of a passion of mine and I, I also remember just um, yeah performing the work and actually addressing all of you know the survivors who were in the room and um, yeah it was an incredibly moving experience uh, you know, a lot of my family um, perished in the Holocaust um, a lot of my family was deported um, and spent time in Auschwitz where Gidon Klein was also um, taken in 1945 um, but unfortunately, by the time I discovered Gidon Klein, mo all the relatives who survived Auschwitz uh, had passed away. Um, but it is highly possible that they, they met and even heard him perform. 
But also the other, of course, musical connection is um, having been a member of an opera house for so many years and, and the fascination with um, Leos Janacek's operas. It was a remarkable development in that sort of musical rhetoric that Janacek had started. And it was a very interesting musical development how these um, composers had taken that music further. It's highlighting the great works that they left behind as, as much as the tragic circumstances under which they, their lives were cut short. I've been researching Gideon Klein for, for a number of years now, and, you know, a short podcast can't really do justice to someone who I think was an absolutely uh, terrific musician uh, and a wonderful individual as well. And piecing together his life story and the story of his very, very remarkable and feisty family, the personality becomes part of your family as well. You know, it's a really strange thing that, that on the one hand, I'm musicologist and can look at these things in a fairly dispassionate way, but there comes a point where you stop being dispassionate and you realise that you are dealing with an individual. You're dealing with someone who had a fantastic life and an amazing family whose life was truly cut short by a murderous regime. And that makes me feel very, very angry, I have to say. But Gideon has become part of our family as well. And, you know, we've had memorial prayers said in, in local synagogues for him to commemorate his, his life. And I find it very, very difficult to divorce the two, you know, from being a musicological analysis to looking at someone who was a, a real person and, and a wonderful person at that. A homage to Gideon Klein will be performed at the Australian National Academy of Music, the South Melbourne Town Hall, on Saturday the 15th of June at 7.30pm. Anam's artistic director, Nick Deutsch, will be joined by Sydney Symphony's principal bassoonist, Matthew Wilkie, and musicians from Anam for a special performance of Gideon's music, as well as music by Janacek and Dvorak. Thank you to Nick Deutsch and Anam pianist Maggie Pang, Dr David Flig, a leading expert on Gideon Klein who will be releasing a biography about the composer later this year, and Dr Joseph Toltz from the Sydney Conservatorium. The music in this podcast included Dvorak's Serenade in D minor and Gideon Klein's Divertimento for Wind Octet, performed by Anna musicians in past years. Gideon Klein's Piano Sonata was performed by Anna musician Maggie Pang. For more information on a homage to Gideon Klein, Anam Radio, and everything else Anam, visit anam.com.au.